This second reading is from St. John's first letter, chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Thank you very much, Val. We have a really wonderful world. I wonder if you've been reflecting on that when looking at snowdrops or the beginning of daffodils and the beginning of spring in the sunshine this morning. A really wonderful world with many wonderful things in it. And there's so many things around us in the world for which we give thanks to God. Louis Armstrong reflected suitably on that in his 1967 song, I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Maybe you've seen particularly some red roses blooming with Valentine's Day uh, happening this past week. He continues, I see skies of blue, clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Very popular uh, song at funerals, just reflecting on, despite the darkness, what's just happened. What a wonderful world with many wonderful things in it there are to experience. And the Bible itself celebrates that wonderful world as we've seen in our series recently in Psalm 104. Here's just a few verses that celebrates the wonder of creation from Psalm 104. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. Where the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. What a wonderful world! So perhaps it's a bit of a surprise when we read in the opening part of our passage today the words, do not love the world or anything in the world. Well, what's going on? A wonderful world with so many wonderful things in it, red roses and green trees and blue skies and white clouds and crags for the hyrax, whatever that is to hide in. What a wonderful world, and yet we're told, don't love that. Don't love the world or anything in the world. Well, as that Psalm 104, I think, indicates, our focus as we look at this wonderful world around us should be not just on the created things, the creation, but on the creator who put those things there and who provides for us. Yes, we admire the red roses and the green trees and the blue skies and the white clouds, but we return the praise and the thanks for those things to God. Let's not let our love for the wonderful things in this wonderful world linger in the world, but let our love return to him who put those things there. Now, you might say, well, that's very well for inanimate things, things that don't move about, 
things like roses and trees and skies and clouds. Fair enough not to just let my love settle on them. But what about people? We are called, are we not, to love people. And so how does that sit with this verse calling us not to love the things in this world, not to love anything, anyone in this world? The Bible itself says God himself so loved the world, so loved all the people in the world, that he gave his only son to die, that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life with him. Likewise, the Bible commands husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then again, Jesus says to all Christians, love one another as I have loved you. So there's an awful lot of instructions to love people in the Bible. How does that sit with this verse? Do not love the world or anything, anyone in the world. Well, evidently, it must be read in context, as any Bible verse must be read in context. This verse is not telling us, forget all of those other verses about loving people, loving the things in the world. It's saying, in a quite polemic way, in a quite sharp and deliberately overstated way, get your loves in order. Get your loves in the right priority. Don't love anything in the world more than God. And that actually, that way of stating things is actually exactly what Jesus himself also did. It's not just John in his letter writing to us in that slightly sharp, polemic way, but Jesus did it too when he taught about discipleship. Jesus said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's very sharp language, isn't it? Whoever does not hate his own father and mother and brothers and sisters cannot be my disciple. And it's exactly the same thing that John's doing here, saying, don't forget all these other verses about loving people, loving your earthly family and so on, but get those loves in the right order. If any of those things, any of those people get in the way of loving me, loving God in Christ first, then leave them behind. And Jesus is worthy of such primary affection, such primary love, because he went to the cross for us. While we were still far off, he died for us and God met us in Christ. John's call, therefore, in this verse is for heavenly-mindedness. Don't love the world or anything in the world. Instead, be heavenly-minded. Love God in Christ. And we may therefore be open to the accusation as Christians, oh, you're so heavenly-minded that you're really not of any earthly use. You're so wrapped up in loving God, reading his word, praying to him, coming to church, doing spiritual things like going to Shrove Tuesday pancake parties, that you're just of no earthly use whatsoever. Well, I think the the contrary is probably a bigger danger for us uh, of being too earthly-minded that we're not of any heavenly use. But the reality is that where our primary love is for God, where we are being heavenly-minded and putting him first, then actually heavenly-mindedness will lead to earthly action. It will lead to genuine rightly rooted love for the world, rightly orientated love 
for people and things. If our first intent is to honour and to love Jesus, then naturally, by extension, we will want to follow his commands to love our neighbours as ourselves, to honour our family relations, and to care for this whole creation as stewards under him. But just in case, just in case we get those things the wrong way round and we find ourselves putting other things first, there's three warnings in our little tiny passage, just of three verses today, to set us back on the right track. The passage warns us not to love the things in the world. I've got three S's for you this morning, I'm sorry. Not to love the things in the world because it will mean separation from God, selfishness and superficiality. Firstly, don't love the things in the world because it will lead to separation from God. Look at that second part of verse 15. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That which we love, that which we spend our time and energy and effort and uh, thought on, reflects on what's really in our heart. So if our greatest passion is something in the world, then that indicates that the love of God, God the Father, is not there in us. Rather than following him, we are separate from him. Uh, There's all sorts of things that might take that first place before God. It's certainly not just those red roses and green trees and blue skies and white clouds that Louis Armstrong was so interested in, although a naturalist might be particularly interested in in those, or a a meteorologist looking up in the sky, he might be uh, particularly wrapped up in those things. Uh, But there's lots of things in the world that really do take that place, or at risk of taking that place, um, particularly families, uh, prestige and success among a particular peer group or a social group. Maybe a sports team. Some people get very wrapped up in following a sports team. Or a a collection. Men are particularly prone to becoming obsessed with a particular collection of something and letting that take the first place in their hearts. Maybe here in South Cambridgeshire, scientific South Cambridgeshire, there is a few more esoteric and high-minded things that are at risk of taking the first place in our hearts. Maybe a field of research that we're involved in or a particular scientific discovery that we're pursuing. And then there's baser things that may take the heart of anybody. Uh, Pleasures like alcohol or drugs that can easily take the first place, take the first love. If anyone loves the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Separation. But if, by contrast, love for the Father is in us, if we're not separate from him, then we will remember it's a wonderful world with these wonderful things in it because he put them there and we'll accord him our first love, our praise. Let's keep things in perspective and not be separate from him who puts all the wonderful things in our world. Secondly, don't love the world because it amounts to selfishness. Look at verse 16. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, we've, I've been saying uh, all along, there's lots of wonderful things in the world. But this verse 
seems to be very negative about what's in the world, doesn't it? That verse 16 says that what's in the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I wonder if what that's saying is actually that's what's left in the world if we take God out of the equation. If we kick God the creator out and forget to thank and praise him and put him first, what we're left with is lust and pride. Without a creator to praise for this creation, what we see, what we touch, what we experience, what we enjoy, those reactions can very quickly lead to selfishness, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And our attitudes can very quickly slip into independence, selfish independence, pride of life. I deserve this rather than I have been given this by a gracious and good God. Now, lust might sound quite a base, sort of animalistic word. We get it twice here. But actually, lust can be directed at all sorts of things, can't it? Uh, Lust can be applied to some quite apparently high-minded things that we might be prone to going after. The appreciation of art and architecture, listening to great music and musicians, maybe, particularly in this part of the world, the pursuit of the perfect little country garden, Those things can become lusts, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, without God in the picture, without praising him for the created things and by replacing him. We all know that ambitions in life can very quickly, without God in the picture, become lustful. Rather than thinking, how can I serve God in my work, in the place I live, in my free time, with my friendships. Instead, taking a more selfish view is so easy, with greedy eyes, thinking, where's that better work just for me? Where's that better place to live, to be just for me? Where's that more enjoyable leisure pursuit for me to spend my time on? So easy for us to slip into selfish modes of thinking, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Do not love the world or the things in the world because it will lead to selfishness. Let our desire be for God himself. Let our desire be set on him, his word, his gifts, his grace, and rightly order our loves. And thirdly, don't love the world because it is superficial. Verse 17 says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Passions that can seem so strong in the moment, a short time later, may be gone. We did a little thought experiment with the children's service earlier. I showed them a crisp, a little chocolate, a biscuit. Who wants this? Who wants this? Lots of hands going up. Yes, we want that. Mad about it. But then the biscuit got crushed, the chocolate got squished in my hands, um, the other thing got eaten. Who wants it now? Nobody wanted it. They passed away just like that. The passions of the world can pass so easily, but the will of God, wonderful promise at the end of this passage, does not change. And those whose ambition it is to do the will of God, to trust in him, to follow him, to take up his cross and follow him, They will not be put to shame. They will be with him and live 
forever. So do we want to avoid superficial existence? Do we want to avoid being governed by human passions, lusts, passing fads? Then make God your first love to do his will. Now, that second half of this verse might come across as a little bit worksy. If we just read the second half of verse 17 completely in isolation, we might get a slightly funny view about the gospel. If we just read, whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, well, I need to do God's will. I need to follow his commandments. Then I'll live forever if I measure up. Do we need to be good to live forever? Do we need to earn merits like that to live forever? No, certainly not. The only condition of peace with God, of life with him, is faith in Christ. His good works for us are sufficient. Instead, what verse 17 is saying, those who are redeemed, those who are cleansed by Christ, having come to him by faith, they'll want to do his will. They'll want, out of heartfelt thanks for this new life they've been given, to follow his commands, to do the will of God. So this verse is simply saying, keep in step with the spirits. Keep in step with the natural inclination of a Christian transformed heart to do the will of God. Don't forget how much Jesus has done for you. Don't be distracted by the passing fads, the passing ambitions of this life. But do the will of God, which lasts forever. That theme of eternity is incredibly important in the Bible. Somebody once told me that one in every 13 verses in the New Testament is focused on the theme of eternity, that which lasts forever, as we see in verse 17. A very respectable Christian writer who thought extensively about the theme of eternity was Richard Baxter, a 17th century Puritan who I've referred to, I think, a couple of years ago from up front at All Saints. Uh, One of his probably two best books, I think, is this one, The Saint's Everlasting Rest, which he sort of goes into this theme of eternity, the will of God that lasts forever. I thought just to finish uh, this morning, I'd share with us a little excerpt from Baxter's book on living a heavenly life on earth, which is chapter 12 of this book. Uh, Good reminder to us occasionally to think we're not the first Christians ever to think about what these Bible verses mean. And many generations before us have delved into them. So I'm going to read us an excerpt where Baxter ends on our verse from the reading today. I'll warn you, the first half of this is a little bit uh, polemic, a little bit sharp, but it's good for us to hear anyway. An earthly mind is another hindrance carefully to be avoided. God and mammon earth and heaven, cannot both have the delight of our hearts. When the heavenly believer is blessing himself in his God and rejoicing in the hope of the glory to come, perhaps you are blessing yourself in your worldly prosperity and rejoicing in hope of thriving here. When he is comforting his soul with views of Christ, of angels and saints among whom he will live forever, then you are comforting yourself in your prosperity and rejoicing in your hope here. Looking over your bills and bonds, your goods, your cattle, your buildings, and thinking of the favour of the great or the pleasure of a plentiful estate 
of larger provisions for your children or the advancement of your family or the increase of your dependents. If Christ pronounced him a fool that said, Soul, take thy ease, you have many goods laid up for many years, then how much also are you who knowingly speak the same words in your heart? What difference is there between this fool's expression and your affections? Remember, you have to do with the searcher of hearts. Oh, the cursed madness of many that seem to be religious. They thrust themselves into a multitude of employments till they are so loaded with labours and clogged with cares that their souls are as unfit to converse with God as a man to walk with a mountain on his back and as unapt to soar in meditation as their bodies to leap above the sun. And when they have lost that heaven upon earth, which they might have had, they take up with a few rotten arguments to prove it lawful, though indeed they cannot. I advise you, Christian, who has tasted the pleasures of a heavenly life, if ever you would taste them more, avoid this devouring gulf of an earthly mind. If once you come to this, that you will be rich, you fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Keep these things loose about you, like upper garments, that you may lay them by whenever there is need. But let God and glory be next to your heart. Always remember that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is plain dealing, and happy is he that receives it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for a wonderful world, this beautiful sunny morning and the coming of spring. Thank you for all those people you've set around us in our life, in our families and friends, neighbours and colleagues. We're so sorry, Heavenly Father, when we make some of those created things, the things in this world, the first in our hearts before you. We're sorry for the separation that causes with you. We're sorry for the selfishness that that expresses. We're sorry for the superficiality of loving such passing things before you who is forever. Help us, we pray, Heavenly Father, to keep our loves in the right order, to keep you first and foremost in our hearts, and to let everything else fall into place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Edward. Our verse of the month for February is that that last verse of the reading from 1 John. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Our final hymn seems to be saying also that the world and its desires pale into insignificance compared to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So please stand to sing when the music starts. 
all I once held dear. Oh, oh.